So good to be back in Texas. It's warmer, it's bigger, it's better. Uh, <clears throat> hey, well, we just love your pastors, pastors Dustin and Jamie, and uh, I know they're not here this morning, but we send our love if you're watching online, and just, I can honestly, I was just, I was just out the back, and I was just thinking, this is one of the few churches I really feel at home. Lots of churches I feel at home, but I really feel at home here. So thank you, thank you, Pastor John, thank you, Pastor Keo, and all the team uh, for looking out for us. This is just such a warm, welcoming place, and uh, we love you. I think this is my fifth time been coming since 2017, 18, and so uh, just just so grateful for you all. And um, this has been a real interesting season, as you can probably tell from my accent. I'm from the UK, and our late queen passed away uh, two weeks ago. And so we had an official 11 days of mourning, which crossed over two Sundays. So this is the first Sunday I've been in church where we haven't had like memorial service, so we haven't been able to kind of do worship the way we'd normally do it, and we've just been very respectful of the, the, the climate, and um, so I felt good today in worship. It was good to be clapping our hands again and singing, and so we're so good. We loved our queen, but it's a new day, and um, did, who watched the funeral? Did any of you watch the funeral? A few of you watched it, and what was incredible on Monday, I can't believe it was just on Monday, but uh, 5.1 billion people tuned in, two-thirds of the world tuned in, and uh, the message of Jesus went out, and I thought, you know, even in her death, and, you know, whether, whether you like her or, or like the monarchy or you don't like a monarchy, it doesn't matter, the queen was just a beautiful lady, and she has a way of bringing people together, and for the gospel to go out to five billion people in one service is just, you know, I, I think it's incredible, so thank you for your love and prayers, and... Um, yeah, and this church is a special church. It really is. For Chantal, my wife and I, we're over in Dallas. We're at a conference this week. And, uh, you know, in, in ministry, you need, you need people to aspire to and you need churches to aspire to. And this church fits both of those categories. With your leadership, we, we look up to your pastors and we follow closely what you guys do. We steal a lot of things. Okay, so if you came to our church, we run a church in Norwich, England called Soul Church. And uh, you'd kind of walk in and go, oh, I've seen that in our church. That's because we stole it from you. Okay, so you probably stole it from somewhere else and we just stole it from you. So, um, but this is a great, and we, we love it. So it's just great. Should we pray? And um, let's see what happens this morning. Father God, we're just uh, so, so overwhelmed by your goodness towards us. We come into your presence with thanksgiving. We're so grateful for carrying us through another week. I know for many who have arrived here today, it hasn't been an easy week. Maybe there's been disappointments. Maybe there's been upset in families. Maybe a deal went wrong in business. Maybe the week didn't go as planned. But we know for sure that you're here today. And I know, God, that you didn't just bring us here to kind of bore us for an hour and a half. You brought us here to speak to us. So I pray by the power of your word, you'd speak to every individual, every marriage, home, student, family member. And we say it's not by might, it's not by power, it's by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, you can just say to the person beside you, say, get ready for this. Turn to the person on the other side, your second favorite. They're your second favorite, remember? So it's good to be sitting next to you in church. All right, we're going to start with a video, just a quick 30-second clip which is going to kind of frame where we're heading this morning. So check out the screens.
Who thinks that driver was grateful for a guardrail? We've just concluded a series in our church called God's Guardrails. We've noticed over the last few weeks, months, that people's lives are drifting. Drifting towards the edge, people are making decisions, and people are finding themselves in dangerous places. And who knows that the guardrail in that video would have almost certainly stopped a human tragedy. And you're all staring at my finger, okay? I was in a bar last night in Allen, I got into a fight, and... Um, <laughs> Good news is the other guy is in a real bad shape, but that's not true. Some of you are like, really? You're in a bar here? And no, I wasn't in a bar. I don't drink. However, um, I was playing soccer 16 weeks ago and um, literally snapped my finger back. And so they rebuilt it, and I'm now in this kind of rehab process. I've got a little steel rod in there, and it's coming out. So if anybody likes blood and stuff, come see me later. I can show you some, some stuff. So, yeah, that's why that's on there. And that, is, that blue thing is to do nothing but protect my finger. So, yeah. I know some of you are like your huggers. You'd have to come and squeeze the preacher. If you squeeze me, just leave this hand alone, okay? <laughs> this one, okay. So with guardrails, it's so important that we recognize God's guardrails in our lives because they are there to protect us. And I know for your pastors, our job is to uh, point us to safety rather than danger. The enemy has one tactic for our lives, it's to steal, to kill, and to destroy. It always has been. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have a life. And we want, as pastors, we want to direct you towards safety. And so our series phrase uh, for, uh, for guardrails has been, this is our God book, but this is our guidebook. And so we want to steer people away from danger. Our series verse was in Ephesians 5.15. It says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. And God wants us to make wise decisions in these days. I want to start, I'm going to tell a couple of stories today. It was my 17th birthday in the UK. When you're 17, you get a driver's, a provisional L-plate driver's license. And so my friends and I headed across to Wales and uh, when we got to Wales, I said to my friend Ben, I said, it was his car. I said, Ben, it was a burgundy Ford Sierra. I said, Ben, I think there's a picture going to come up on your screen. By the way, a big welcome to all those joining us online. Glad you are with us today. And as we, I, I said, can I drive the car? He said, well, you just, you know, you're 17, so you can drive. So drove the car around this big field and uh, crossed a few tracks, and then I got out of the car and was walking back towards Ben, but the car kept going. The car kept going, and I literally stepped out of the car, and I watched this car head down the hill and into a ditch, and it crashed itself. I, mean, I wasn't in it, was I? Who knows what I'd done? I'd failed to put on the handbrake, and uh, it was very interesting when I called the insurance company on behalf of my friend Ben. They said, who was driving the car? And I could quite confidently say, no, no one. <laughs> it was not me. I mean, I was not lying. So we, I, I just want you to park that story for one sec. We're going to read one verse this morning. And before we do, some context to the scripture. The writer of the Hebrews was challenging a group of new Christians who had recently uh, converted from Judaism to Christianity. And they had been heavily persecuted. In fact, some of them had been killed for their newfound faith. And this is what the writer says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. It says, We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not, I want you to say this word together, drift away. 
like the Burgundy Ford Sierra State, the writer of Hebrews is recognizing there are a lot of believers. Now, this passage was not written to people who don't know Christ. It was written to the church. It was written to believers. It was written to a lot of people like you and I. And he sends this really challenging letter because he sees Christians drifting towards the edge. And I think 2,000 plus years later, we are seeing the same pattern, uh, uh, probably a quicker rate than they were. We are seeing people leaving churches. We are seeing people changing their lifestyles. We are seeing people drifting towards the edge. And in chapter 1 of Hebrews, if, you, if you've read the book of Hebrews, it's a fantastic, fantastic book. It's all about the Father's love. It's about the Father's grace. It's about forgiveness. And he's like, right, let's get into chapter 2. And he pulls no punches whatsoever. He goes straight in. He says, I can see all you little scallywags. You're all drifting away. And I want to just speak some home truths right here. So he shows grace and then he speaks truth. So I want to show some grace to you all right now. You are all loved by God. Right, now some truth. Now, isn't it interesting? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. What's the first word? Just If we can put the scripture back up. It, 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 the first word in scripture is we. This is really powerful. We. He does not start with you or me. He starts with we. The writer is saying we all have the potential to drift. Whether you are a student, a parent, a pastor, a granddad, we, we're all included in this. All of us. You know, the first year of Bible school, I went to Sydney, Australia to Bible school. And by the way, it turned into bridal school. It was brilliant. I can't remember what happened at Bible school. I can. It was first year at Bible school and we, 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 we had chapel and we started with worship and then the dean of the college got on stage and he said this, he said, 40% of you in 10 years won't be in church and in 20 years, he said, a high percentage of you won't even be following Christ and we all laughed. We all thought, what are you talking about? Our hands are in the air, we're worshiping you know, I decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, Pastor Kerry. You didn't know I was a worship leader, did you? I'm telling you, they're bringing me in all over the world. The cross before me, the world behind me. Well, like, what is he talking about? I'll tell you what he's talking about. He's talking about drift. Because 20 years later, when I look at my alumni book, and Instagram's a great revealer, I see my friends. I'm like, what happened? We were going to change the world. You were going to be a missionary in Africa. We were going to build orphanages in India. You were going to start a church in Seattle. What happened? What happened? The fact is he was right. People got hurt in college. People got hurt in church. People lost hope. People got distracted. People suffered. COVID arrived. And our world has just slowly, unintentionally began to drift. And the enemy's plan for God's children, that's why the writer wrote we, has always been to drift. I want to talk for the next three and a half hours on the subject matter. <laughs> Kids team would love that, wouldn't they? I want to talk for the next 30 minutes on the subject matter, catch my drift. I want you to catch the drift today. 
You know, if I really feel the Holy Spirit, if we can catch the drift today, I think we can turn some things around in our life. And, you know, I have come here before, and I've preached a message of, you know, faith. And, and, but today I felt this word is a message of truth, which is really going to help people just steer and turn around some things in their lives. And so I've just got three thoughts when it comes to drift. Three thoughts. Number one is this. Drifting always begins without knowing. What did the writer say? We must pay careful attention. Why did the car begin to drift? I wasn't even, didn't, wasn't even aware of what was happening until it was too late and the car was in the ditch. Now, if, you, if, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. If you're not taking notes, write this down. <laughs> this is critical because if you, if you grasp this, this can really help you in life. Whenever we take our eyes off something, it always begins to drift. Whenever we take our eyes off something, it drifts. Our children have been pestering us for a dog for years, okay? We haven't been able to have a dog. But the good news is, two doors down the road is our godparents, the kids' godparents. And they have a dog, which we've called our god dog. (laughs) Now, the good thing about a god dog is, you get all the good bits from a god dog. Okay, so they bathe them, they bath them, they clean them, they feed them, they take them to the vet, and then you just pick up the dog when you need a, you know, a dog moment. <laughs> and so my kids a few weeks ago, they're like, Daddy, can we go and get Max? His name's Maximus. Okay, <laughs> strong. There he is. He's a, I think we've got a picture coming. He's a little Westie. <laughs> Has anyone got a Westie? No one's got a, This lady, you've got a Westie. You're going to get a hug later. With this arm. <laughs> Westy's best. That's my daughter, by the way. That's my daughter, Miracle Joy. And uh, she's an absolute little cutie. She's got the looks of her father and the personality of her mother. <laughs> I'm kidding. My personality, mother's look. My, my wife is absolutely beautiful. And uh, we literally, we, we go to the mall, the mall, whatever you call it, And people look at her and they look at me and they say, there must be a God or he's got a lot of money. (laughs) It's like a walking evangelism. How did he get her? There is a God. It's really simple. Okay, so drifting begins without knowing. I'll be very careful because I have a tendency to drift in my messages. (laughs) Just keep me on track, all right? So Max comes over to the house and... I said to the kids, whatever you do, keep your eyes on Max. Because our garden, our garden's not Max-proof. You know, you have to have a Max-proof garden if you've got a dog. You know, no gaps in the hedges, the fences. So about an hour later, I said to the kids, how's it going? Where's Max? They said, what do you mean? I said, the dog, your god dog, that you were looking after. And they freaked out. Anyway, we, we spent 10, 15 minutes looking for Max, and we found him in the neighbor's garden, doing his thing. Now, I don't have to talk to you about what that thing is because you know what that thing is if you're a dog lover. Okay, but I'm trying to explain to the neighbor and I said to my kids, I said, just remember, you've got to keep your eyes on Max. Why am I telling you that story? Because whatever you take your eyes off in life will always drift. All you have to do for your health to drift is ready, nothing. If we want our health to drift, all we have to do is nothing. You ever got on the scales? You know, the weighers? You got, how on earth has that happened? Is it just me? 
I'll tell you how it happened. Nothing. You just ate whatever you wanted. Oh, by the way, I was at Cheesecake Factory last night. Oh, my God. I didn't think I was going to make it here this morning. They handed me like this book. It was like the Bible. And I sat there reading it, and I was like, what on earth am I going to order from this place? And then they handed me like this skinny licious menu. I called it the message version. And, um, <laughs> oh, sorry. I was just a joke. Anyway, my health was drifting. Every time I finished my soda, the lady was like pouring more in, pouring more in. Unbelievable, that doesn't happen in England. All we have to do for our finances to drift is nothing. All you have to do is nothing. Just go to the store and just swipe your card and go, I'll figure out how I'm going to pay that later. Nothing. All you have to do for your marriage to drift is some of you spouses were shouting a little bit louder there than I thought you would. You know, all you have to do for your spiritual life to drift is nothing. Stop reaching for our Bible, stop praying, personal devotion, stop coming to small group, even stop coming to church. And we drift. And I think drifting is actually default. It's default. And problems rarely sort themselves out. We have to make a decision that we're drifting. And suddenly we look back and we think, how on earth did I get that big? How on earth am I in so much debt? How on earth have I not been to church for 12 months? You think, how on earth did that happen? Because the devil is so subtle. He's just quietly pushing us away from safety towards the edge. You know, there's an old story that you all know about how to boil a frog. You don't know that one? Who doesn't know how to boil a frog? Okay, just in case you don't. My French teacher taught me this. You don't just put him in boiling water or her. If you drop a frog, we'll be sensitive here. If you drop a frog in boiling water, they'll jump out straight away. So you put a frog in cold water on the stove and you slowly heat it up. So it's like a jacuzzi. And little by little, it gets warmer and warmer, and it's pleasant, and it becomes slightly unpleasant. And before the frog realizes it, it can't get out because it's settled, and it's too late. And the frog looks at the person on the stove and says, how on earth did that happen? Because it's so quick, it's so slowly, it's so subtle. And you know what? No one goes over the guardrail the other side, it always starts with drift. When you watch that car, what was it doing? It drifted. It drifted. You know, COVID, without even realizing it, we drifted, didn't we? We drifted. We drifted apart. We drifted online. We, we drifted. Some people drifted to other churches. Some people drifted out of church altogether. Some of you have friends and family who used to be in church, but because of COVID, they're no longer in church. And you know, the, the, every Sunday you bump into them in Walmart and they say, I'll be back to church this Sunday and they're not here because maybe someone called and they're having a friend's barbecue and the drift continues. And the challenging thing with drift is it's so easy to see in others but so difficult to see in ourselves. And we can see our world is drifting. And you know, the most difficult part of my message every Sunday is not the preparation, even though that's tedious, it's not the preaching, even though I can get very nervous in, a, in, a, in an auditorium and speaking to people. The most difficult part of my message is living it. It's living it. 
Who knows the most difficult part of parenting? When you're telling your kids to get off their iPad and they see you on your phone. It's like, oh my goodness, I've got to live this. I've got to live this. It's making sure that we don't drift. And drifting can happen to all of us. So just really quickly, here's some, here's some things to, 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 to work on or to recognize if, if it's there for me, if I'm spiritually drifting. And these are personal to me, but they may be for you. Number one is this. This is how to recognize if I'm drifting. Is when I'm talking about my problems to others than to God. When I'm constantly talking about my problems, and the Bible says, you know, it's good to share our burdens with one another. But when I'm constantly talking to others more than God, I know that I am spiritually drifting. First Peter 5, 7 says, give your worries and cares to God because he cares for you. Second way I know I'm drifting is when I'm spending God, spending time with God out of duty, not delight. I do it because I have to do it, not because I want to do it. And even as a pastor, I fall into this trap sometimes. I'm reading my Bible because I'm a pastor. I'm reading my Bible because I'm a dad. But no, no, actually God wants me to spend. I don't want to spend time with my wife because I'm married to her. I want to spend time with my wife because I love her. And there's a big difference. Third, third way to recognize that I'm personally drifting is when I'm running all the time, not walking. I'm going too fast. We live in such a fast-paced world. So fast. You know, one of the big things I'm trying to do is slow down constantly. Slow down. Why, why did that car crash? Too fast. Too fast. Too fast. And when we go too quick in life, you lose control. You lose control. Matthew 11, 28 says, Are you tired, worn out? Church 11, 32. Burn out on religion. Come to me. Get away with me. And you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest, John. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And this is where we have to find grace and pace for the journey. But God wants us to walk. Not this fast speed. One of the things I love about your church, there seems to be a grace for the pace here. And I can feel it. Number four is this. When, when I'm watching, not worshipping. You know, online church during COVID, let's be honest, we all became watchers, not worshippers. Everyone kidded themselves that they were standing in front of their televisions with their arms in the air. The kids all dressed for church. Communion sat out on the table. Your notepad and pen ready to take notes. No, you're in the kitchen making eggs and omelets and cookies. And you had it on in the background. Because we became watchers, not worshippers. You know what? When I'm drifting, I become a watcher. So suddenly I'm standing in worship going, wow, I love that guy's shoes. I wonder where he got them from. Or I wonder why he's in church. Or, you know... Pastor John and Chantel aren't sitting together today. I wonder if everything's all right in their marriage. Maybe I need to go over and get my home. And what happens is we start drawing conclusions because we're so distracted. And God is saying, I just want you to worship me in spirit and in truth. I don't need to be a watcher. And so we just need to close our eyes and focus our attention. Psalm 63, 1 says, God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. God wants us to thirst and long for him. And you know, the challenging thing is drifting isn't just happening in us, it's happening around us. Our world, society is drifting. And without even knowing it, we've drifted from biblical values. 
And you know, these are just stats from my own continent, but the majority of Europe's Christians now are now called non-practicing. I mean, what on earth is a non-practicing Christian even mean? God has now been replaced in people's lingo and language with a higher power. You ever heard someone call, I don't really believe in God, but I believe in a higher power or a force for good. I mean, how has our language changed? Because we're suddenly drifted. 71% of young people, they did a survey recently, 71% of young people in the United Kingdom are no longer interested in anything to do with God or church. 71%. 81% of the UK's population are now pro-choice in regards to abortion. 81%. One in ten young people in our nation are now confused about their gender and sexuality. One in ten. Now, no one suddenly decided to allow these issues of our time into culture. What happened is we just slowly drifted there. Slowly allowed things to come out of our school curriculum. Slowly took prayer out of school and society. And we we just drifted. And even in church, we've become so like, you know, three steps to achieving your dreams. And God's like, what about, what about I'm holy? (laughs) What about sanctification? What about separation from the world? What about some of these things that are causing, and then the church is like, how did we end up here where we can't even talk about these things because we're so scared? Because we drifted. We drifted. And whenever truth is removed, people will always create their own version of truth. Whenever you remove absolute truth, which is God's word, I am the way, I am the truth. Whenever you remove, you give people margin to create their own version of truth. And that's where we're at. And you know what? It's not the millennials or Gen C's fault. They don't believe in truth. We just stopped teaching it. We stopped treating. And so we, 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 we opted for trendy over truth. Whatever's trendy. But the problem is with trendy, and let me tell you, I've done it. People have drifted on my watch. And then suddenly we see the car over the edge, thinking, wow, what's happened? So we've, we've been teaching guardrails. How can we protect our children, our young people? How can we protect marriages? How can we protect the businesses in our church so we, we stay on the right path? Drifting left alone will always cause regret. I'll say it again. Drifting left alone will always cause regret. You know what? Church 1132 Soul Church, my family church, we love you too much to watch you drift. I love people too much not to speak on this subject. You know, the dumbest thing we can ever do in life when we're drifting is nothing. And maybe today I've said one thing through the power of the Spirit. You say, you know what, I just need to recognize that I'm drifting. The second thought when it comes to drifting is this. The question is, what areas of your life, my life, am I drifting in? I want to put that as a challenge. Second question is this. Drifting continues when we fail to pay attention. It says we must pay the most careful attention. 2018, I went to Israel with a group of friends. There's a picture going to come up on your screens. And we were laying on, in, on, on the beach. And uh, I, I looked out and there was Jordan on the other side. I felt like the Israelites. And I said to my friend, I said, Jad, I said, let's swim to the Jordan. Across the Jordan to the nation. Are you Jordan? That's Jordan in Jordan across the Jordan. If you'd have been there, that would have been a real treat. 
And uh, my friend said, no, that's crazy. That's a stupid idea. You can't. I said, well, it's about three miles. We're, you know, we're, we're, we're young, we're fit, let's give it a go. So we made this decision to try and swim across the Jordan. And that was a really, really bad idea. <laughs> and we set off, and the, I mean, the views were just incredible. It's exquisite, isn't it? It's just beautiful. Sun was shining, and sun cream was on, and I didn't realize that as we started swimming out there, first of all, the concentration of salt in the water was a lot higher than the North Sea. And secondly, there was a strong current, and we began to drift. And my friend turned around, and he said, I'm, I'm out. I said, well, I'm not. I'm going to keep going. And I was pushing and pushing and pushing. And uh, I got myself in trouble, like big trouble. Trouble, I got salt in my eyes. I had to lay on my back. And I became so preoccupied with my surroundings, I began to drift into serious trouble. Now, I'm going to finish that story in just a moment. Because one of the challenges with drifting is we are so busy, we fail to pay attention. So what we do is we keep drifting. You see, divorce, divorce in a marriage is not an event. It is a process. It is a process. Debt is never a one-off transaction. It is a process called drift. Addictions do not happen overnight. It is a process, and the process is called drift. This is why Paul was so in, intent on speaking this truth. And the devil is the king of keeping us so preoccupied. I was so preoccupied swimming across to the Jordan. I was going to be the first person in history to cross into the Jordan without a passport, okay? I mean, imagine arriving in a country. How did you? I just swam across there. I mean, that is a diplomatic situation. You know that. And so what happens is we just don't pay attention, so we drift. And we get so busy with our kids. And the easiest thing to give our kids is an iPad or a phone. Why? Just to occupy them so we can get on with life. We can get on doing our things. And then our kids start saying things at home. And they start acting in a certain way because YouTube is raising our kids. Three claps, I get it. <laughs> and our kids start misbehaving. Our kids are doing things and seeing things and exposed to things. We're like, how did that happen? I'll tell you how it happened. We just drifted. Drifted. And in a culture, we had warning signs 10 years ago with secular agendas. In our schools and universities, we failed to pay attention. The music's on. They want me off. He was drifting away with the fairies. <laughs> you liked that, didn't you? <laughs> Second question. I am going to end in, in a while. What areas of my life am I not paying attention to? Could be your kids. Could be your finances. But what areas? Are, Paul said you've got to pay close attention. Number three and finally is this. Drifting ends with a decision. The writer says we've got to pay a careful attention to what we've heard today so that we do not drift away. What is away? Too far gone. We have to catch the drift before it's too late. As I laid on my back in the Jordan, I literally screamed, Help! Because if I hadn't screamed for help, I might not have been standing here today. 
what started off as a little adventure, what started off as fun, what started off as one drink with a friend, what started off as just, oh, just check that, that image online. I just started off with $10 in the casino. See, the enemy's so clever. He's so tactical. Suddenly it's like, how did I end up there? How did I lose my house to a casino? How did I lose my marriage? How did I lose? How am I addicted to porn? How, how? It started off because we drifted. But today it can end with a decision. The addiction can end with a decision today. The marriage which no one's given hope for today can end with a decision to say, I'm going to fight for what's left. I'm going to fight for what's left today. I believe there's never been a more pivotal moment in history to show people grace and teach people truth. Drifting can end today in our culture of enough pastors and leaders and dads and mums have the courage to speak up. We don't have to just go with culture. There's so much in culture that's incredible. I love it. There's so much we've got to go. That's just not for me. Everyone's getting drunk at the work party. I'm going to be one of the boys. I'm going to stick some beers down my neck. Because I'm one of the lads. I'm going to show them all. You know, drinking doesn't look good on anyone. I've never met one, one wife that says, I'm so proud of my husband the way he drinks. <laughs> He's such a good guy. I'll leave that one there. You don't have to be one of the lads. I'm, I, we're just going to sleep together because it feels so good. We're not married yet, but she's the one. I can feel it. You don't have, you don't have to be that person. You're a child of God. You're a princess. You're bought with a price. Everyone's just accepted evolution's creation. My little son has come back from school a few weeks. He says, Daddy, they taught me today that you taught, he said, you taught me that God created me, but the teacher tells me at school that I came from a monkey. And he's confused. Again, he's confused. He says, which one is it? And I sat down and I said, Justice is his name. I said, God created your son. And I said, you know, we've got to respect people's opinions, and I'm not here to disrespect your teachers at school, but next time you're taught, I want you just to have the courage to stand up. Have the courage to say, you know what? I believe what the Bible says. My kids have both stood up in class and said, I respect your opinion, but I believe that I was created in the image of God. Now, we can accept, we can accept what they're teaching our kids in school and just say, oh, it's, the problem is it's drift. It's drift. And then we say, how, they get to 21 and how, how on earth have we ended up here? And as a church, we're making a decision that we want to start a Christian school. Because church, we get 90 minutes with your kids every week. The secular education system gets 30 hours. We're losing this. So we want to, we're believing God. I don't know how it's going to happen. There's only one Christian school in the whole United Kingdom. We're going to believe God. We're going to be the second. 
And I'm not talking about a private school. I'm talking about a, a school that's welcome for everyone. Not just, ex, you know, it's exclusive for people with wealth. I want to start a school for people somehow. Imagine we could train up 2,000 leaders of the Word of God. Wow, you've got to dream bigger. It's time to dream again. It's trying to believe God. We can turn things around. Pay the most careful attention. So much more I could say. Come back to the next service. We've got to choose truth over trendy. Truth over trendy. We've been teaching our church. We did, did a whole thing on heaven and hell. People don't believe in, people don't talk about hell anymore. But you, here's the deal. You can't get to heaven by being a good person. In fact, bad people will be in heaven. Because we're all bad. But by the grace of God, it's not about being good or bad. It's about Jesus. People say, you know, you just live, act how you want, and in the end, it'll all come, it'll all play out good. And it's not that. The Bible says there's only one way to heaven. Not five, four, three. One way to heaven. Well, how can you say there's only one way to God? Because Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth. And the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said, I am the truth. He doesn't say truth is a religion or a ritual or a set of rules or regulations. He says, I am the truth. Truth is a person. And this is what separates Jesus Christ from every other leader of faith. Others, other leaders have said, I'm looking for the truth. I'm teaching the truth. I'm pointing to the truth. I'm a prophet of truth. But Jesus comes along and he says, I am the truth. am the way. I've got to stop. This is the steering wheel. This is what we've let, let go of. I've got to steer people back. If you hold on to this book, the treasures of this book, this is a holy book. This is a holy book. Men and women have given their lives so that we can have this book in our hearts. In our hands, we treasure it. We don't take it for granted. We've got to get back to holiness, church. We've got to get back to holiness in the church. And if it means going backwards takes us forwards, let's go backwards. I told our church we're going backwards. Going forwards is not an LED screen. It's not a smoke machine, and I love all that stuff. I love it. We're building a brand new church. We're going to have all the latest gear and gasmos and get gadgets, all that stuff. But let me tell you, we've got to go backwards. It's time to go backwards. We've got to go back to godly principles, godly values, godly truth. If we are going to move forward, we have to go backwards. A ball bearing is in the catapult. And it has to go back to go forward. And the church, prophetically, we're in a season where you're going to see a swing towards holiness and truth. And as we go back, it will, it will attract people towards the truth. Our world is hungry for truth. It is hungry for absolute truth. The question is, are we encouraged to speak it?